Ideas are everywhere. And today we're looking for them out on the street. Let's see if we Cap. can catch them. Cap! Taxi! Uh, taxi! Taxi! I don't know why the cab won't stop. Anyone who'd pay $50 for a cab certainly pay 75 Hello, I'm Johnny Cap. Where can I take you tonight? And a big yellow taxi took away my old man. Drive! Drive! Would you please repeat the destination? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Indeed, it is going to be a bumpy ride ahead, especially if you are a cab driver these days with Uber and Lyft arriving in Saskatchewan and perhaps even coming to British Columbia. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Bellarive, and we are talking about rideshare today. I have a great episode. I'm very excited about it. First, We'll talk to Harry Campbell, who's a a rideshare driver known as the Rideshare Guy. And uh, he is really an authority on rideshare. He has uh, an extremely robust blog, as well as a book that helps drivers make the most out of their business. And I want to ask him about Uber and Lyft and how they market themselves to drivers. I will also talk to Jared Spool. And Jared is a usability expert. He's the founder of UIE, which is a usability research organization. And he's been working in this field for a long time. And I want to ask him about the rideshare user experience, why it's so awesome, how did it get to be that awesome, and how you can get that awesomeness into your own organization. A couple of great conversations on rideshare. So hop in, let's go. First up, I want you to meet Harry Campbell, the rideshare guy. And Harry really is the authority for rideshare for drivers. Welcome to the podcast, Harry. How are things going? Doing well. Thank you. Uh, you know, just kind of uh, getting the year, trying to get the year off to a good start. And, uh, you know, got lots in the works for 2019. So it should be a fun year. First thing, how did you get started with rideshare and become the rideshare guy? Okay, cool. Yeah. So basically, I actually got started driving for Uber and Lyft all the way back in 2014. So, you know, it was almost five years ago. And actually, I think uh, in rideshare years, that's a lot of years. Most people (laughs) don't make it that long. But, uh, you know, when I first started driving for both Uber and Lyft, I kind of noticed that, hey, you know, this gig is not rocket science, but it's also not as easy as it looks. And I noticed that there were a lot of drivers on Facebook and on forums asking questions. And so I decided to start a blog about my experience as a driver. So, you know, I was working full-time as an engineer at the time, driving for Uber and Lyft on the side. And uh, that's when I started my blog, The Rideshare Guy. And now that has become quite a huge blog. Yeah, I think uh, you could say that. (laughs) Um, So now, you know, about a year or two, a year and a half into starting the Rideshare Guy, we were starting to get a lot of traffic and, you know, just the industry. I mean, I got very fortunate and very lucky in that Uber and Lyft just exploded. And uh, so I was in a good position to kind of take advantage of that. So I quit my day job as an engineer to focus on the blog and the podcast and the YouTube channel and do that, you know, sort of my online media business full time. And so today, We do around uh, 600,000 page views a month to the blog and we've got uh, 30 or 37,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel and we've got a podcast of our own and just uh, wrote a book last year called The Rideshare Guide. So basically any type of content uh, that you want to learn about rideshare, we we should be there. Well, you are uh, like the perfect guy to be talking to and I'm excited to talk to you. So can I ask you why... Are Uber and Lyft so popular? 
Sure. So I think that Uber and Lyft are so popular because it's such a better experience than what we had in the past. I mean, I think the idea of, you know, for hire transportation has been around forever, right? I think that people were, uh, taxis were, have been around for over a hundred years and people were paying, uh, drivers to get them from point A to point B. We all have places to go and people to see and things to do. But in the past, with taxis, for example, in places like New York City, there were only 13,000 taxi medallions in a city with millions of people. And that was clearly nowhere near enough because you couldn't get a ride during the busiest times. You couldn't go, you know, drivers didn't want to take you to certain places during certain times. And so I think that there for years, there was really this kind of pent up demand. And we didn't know that we needed rideshare services like Uber and Lyft. But once they were here and once you could press one button and call for a ride on your smartphone, request a ride from Uber or Lyft, pay with a credit card automatically, rate your driver after the ride. So now the driver has some incentive, you know, to take you on the right route and, you know, not be a terrible driver and even leave a tip on the app. I think that that really sort of frictionless process has opened up, uh, you know, for higher transportation to a lot of people. And then, of course, the price point that they're doing it at too, you know, it's in most cities, many cities, it's two to three times cheaper than the cost of a taxi. So I think that low price point has also made it very attractive for a lot of people. Yeah, it is. A, as a rider, it is a delightful experience. Now, you, you, you said uh, you're a bit of an anomaly in that you've stuck with rideshare for longer than most. Um, Uber and Lyft must go through then uh, uh, quite a number of drivers. How do they track drivers? Yeah, that, I think that is very accurate. <laughs> I think their most recent numbers, you know, to be honest, I think their retention is very low. Uh, there are a lot of positives to driving for Uber and Lyft and, you know, the money that you make and the flexible schedule that you have. You can log on whenever you want and you can log off whenever you want and do as much work as you want or as little as work as you want. You can cash out your money to your bank account instantly. So there's a ton of schedule and pay flexibility. But, you know, there is extra responsibility as an Uber or Lyft driver. You're an independent contractor, so you have to worry about things like taxes and insurance and there's just a little bit more responsibility. So, mm. you know, the the most recent numbers that we've seen from Uber, they did a study and one of the things that they released in that study was that two-thirds of all drivers actually quit after just six months, which when you think about it, right, a majority of their workforce is gone within six months. That doesn't sound so great to me. <laughs> um, so, you know, they're the job is very attractive, but I think uh, for, there's two things at work. You know, it's a transient job. A lot of people come in and only need to do it for a few months. So there are a lot of people that are only doing it temporarily or try it and don't like it. And then I think that just by the nature of the job, uh, you often find that drivers, you know, it doesn't quite meet their expectations either financially or maybe they're not ready to run a business and think about, you know, all of these miles that you're putting on the car and the depreciation you're putting on your car. Mm hmm. So how would they um, attract new drivers? So Uber and Lyft, uh, you know, kind of use a variety of marketing channels to attract new drivers. I mean, you've probably, you may have even seen a TV commercial, a radio advertise, heard a radio advertisement. They also have a big referral program where drivers can actually refer other drivers and get paid for it. And then they do a lot of, you know, traditional advertising online on places like Craigslist and Facebook and Google ads. So uh, they really, you know, do anything and everything to attract drivers. I mean, even in 
the past at one point at a program called the Uber Brand Ambassador Program. And what this program was is it paid people to go stand at a gas station and sign up new Uber drivers. Sort of makes yeah. sense, right? If someone's filling up gas, they obviously have a car. <laughs> and um, you off, you know, they were offering them basically $50 gift cards on the spot if they would sign up to be an Uber or Lyft driver. So you might imagine, you know, someone who's about to spend $50 on a tank of gas, they might be pretty willing to sign up a, as an Uber or Lyft driver right then and there if they're going to get a, a gift card to offset that gas purchase. So, you know, they've kind of tried anything and everything, I would say. Is there, do you see much difference between how the two market themselves, those two? Yeah, I mean, I think historically Lyft has sort of always been the nicer guy, <laughs> if, you, if you kind of look at it uh, from the company perspective. You know, when Lyft first started, for example, they, their tagline actually was, um, you know, your friend with a car, right? They encourage passengers to sit up front, fist bump your driver when you got in. And they even had these goofy kind of furry, well, pretty big furry pink mustaches that they would put on the hood of driver's car. And this was only when they were in San Francisco and L.A. and a few major cities in the U.S. over time. Time, you know, I think that they've gotten rid of a lot of the, or, you know, sort of, they don't encourage passengers to sit in the front anymore. And uh, it was a, just a lot more community feel. And I think that over the years, that has definitely propagated down. Uh, you know, we hear from a lot of drivers that they actually prefer driving for Lyft and they feel like uh, Lyft kind of values their time, values them more as a driver. But since Uber has dominant market share, a lot of drivers prefer Lyft, but they end up working for Uber more because they get more rides and make more money with Uber. So it's sort of, of maybe a little unfortunate a lot of drivers like Lyft better but you know you got to go where the money is right mm -hmm. and, and there's no difference in the cars at all yeah, for the most part, you know, I think that uh, Uber and Lyft have almost nearly identical requirements in most cities. So, uh, you know, you need to have a four-door, typically sedan, and, uh, you know, every city is a little different, but in major cities, it's usually 2004 or newer. So it doesn't need to be a brand new car, although a lot of drivers do have a newer car. I think last year we surveyed over a thousand drivers and the average vehicle age was around 2011. So, you know, most drivers do have a new-ish car. I mean, it's not brand new, but, you know, maybe a few years older. And, uh, you know, so there's not super strict vehicle requirements, but you do need something that you can transport other people safely in. One thing I noticed on your site was you were saying that there are bonuses available if a driver for new drivers... Yeah. So that's one of the nice things, you know, I've worked a ton of different jobs in my life and it wasn't until I started driving with Uber and Lyft that I got my first signup bonus. You know, I think usually <laughs> when you think of signup bonuses, you think professional athletes, you know, really high in demand tech workers, which I'm definitely don't fall into either category. But I, you know, I actually remember when I first signed up for uh, Lyft here in Los Angeles and then Uber, I got a $500 signup bonus, which was nice. pretty crazy to me that I could get a $500 bonus. Now that was five years ago. So over time, those bonuses have come down, but uh, we still see bonuses all the time and, um, you know, in various cities. Typically, the bigger cities do offer the better bonuses. Uber has switched to a slightly different model that's more of a guaranteed earnings model. So now, if you do 100 trips, for example, they might guarantee you $1,500 in earnings. So it's not an outright bonus like it used to be, but they do guarantee that you'll make a certain amount of money. But there are a number of other services in the food delivery space. Uh, where you can still earn uh, decent bonuses because there's definitely, you know, there's a lot of demand for these workers. Yeah. And can you work for both or do they compete for drivers? 
Yeah, there's a huge competition for drivers between Uber and Lyft. And, you know, even with food delivery services, uh, you know, and, um, you know, package delivery, whatever it might be, I think that um, you, one of the nice things is that since you're an independent contractor, you can work for multiple services. And although Uber may not love the idea of you working for Lyft, they legally cannot tell you not to do it. So that's one of the nice things is that, you know, a lot of drivers typically on rideshare will sign up for at least Uber and Lyft. And that's always what I recommend just to kind of diversify your income streams. You never know what will happen. I mean, we've heard of drivers all the time that, you know, one of their documents expires and they forgot about it on Uber. And so if they have Lyft as a backup, they can still go out and drive until their Uber issues get resolved. But, you know, we also have other drivers who are really just kind of playing the field and seeing whichever company will offer them the biggest bonus or the best weekly offer. That's who they're going to work for that week. And they don't necessarily care the company too much. They just want to make as much money as possible. So it's really, uh, you know, up to you. Is there any reason to pick one over the other? Or like you say, you should be, you know, hedging your bets there. Yeah, I mean, I think the best bet is to pick one to start. So, you know, if you want to start with Uber, start with Uber. If you want to start with Lyft, start with Lyft. And then after you get the hang of things, after a month or two or three months, add the other service just so you can hedge your bets a little. You can diversify a little because you never know what might happen. And, you know, we work with an app, for example, called Maestro. And this app actually allows you to automatically drive for both Uber and Lyft. So one of the reasons why I like apps like these is because it actually enables you to get more ride requests, right? You might imagine, especially during times when it's slow, if you have two, if you're online with two different apps, you may double or, you know, increase your chances of getting a request by 50%. So that's one of the nice things is it just these tools allow you to potentially get more rides and then make more money. Mm. Speaking of the app, how much do you think the app um, has, has had an effect on just that frictionless and that pleasurable experience for people? Yeah, I mean, I think that the Uber and Lyft apps were really a game changer on the consumer side. Uh, You couldn't call for a ride, (laughs) you know, before um, other than using a telephone or, you know, maybe hailing a ride on the street from a taxi. So I think the apps are definitely integral on both the customer and the driver's side. And I mean, recently we actually had one of our rideshare contributors in San Francisco. So there's a driver with over 22,000 rides. He actually went and signed up to be a taxi driver for a week. And he worked for a taxi company that had an app called Flywheel in San Francisco. But even here in the United States today, there's not a single unifying taxi app where you can land in any major city in the U.S. and use the same taxi app to hail a ride. Mm -hmm. Uber and Lyft do provide that for you and do kind of give you that nice network effect. You know that within any city in the United States and now Canada and Mexico and around the world, you can probably open the Uber app or Lyft in Canada. And so you've got that kind of, you know, go-to or default option. Very, very interesting. Now, the other thing I was going to say is as, as if you are a driver, I guess there's some aspect of marketing yourself in that there's a rating system, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the you know nice things about Uber and Lyft is that there is a rating system for both drivers and passengers. So I kind of recommend uh, to your listeners to go check their Uber rating as a passenger. Ah, how do you do that? Day. So it's usually in the menu. Um, if you kind of click on your profile, when you open the Uber Uber customer app, you can see what rating you're at. And uh, drivers actually have to maintain a 4.6 star rating or higher in order to stay active on the platform. So the rating system is a little bit unique in that, you know, if you go to a, a travel review or maybe a food review type site and you see a four-star restaurant, that might be something that you eat at. But a four-star Uber or Lyft driver is actually going to be deactivated off the platform. Wow. So I think it's... Uh, 
you know, ratings are definitely important for drivers and, you know, not so much for passengers, but I think that it's something that kind of, you know, hopefully ensures that the quality of service is there on both sides. Do you do you recommend different things for drivers or passengers to do to do boost their rating or market themselves that way? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think on the passenger side, it's actually pretty simple. It's just sort of understand, you know, sort of valuing the driver's time. Drivers don't get paid to wait around for the most part. So I think that if you're calling for rides, you should sort of be ready and ready to go when the driver arrives. If you're keeping them waiting for five or 10 minutes or trying to make stops all over town, um, you know, typically drivers may not like that as much because they don't get paid uh, to wait and sometimes mm-hmm. you know, their waiting rate on a trip is very low so drivers don't love that and just being as long as you're respectful I think it's pretty easy to be a good passenger on the driver's side though it is a little more complex you know uh it, it, you don't have to get into everything, but I think that first and foremost, riders care most about just safely and quickly getting to their destination. So understanding navigation, basic navigation, which way is north, south, east, west, a lot of that basic, you know, I think that uh, GPS, you know, following Google Maps or Waze is important, but I think that uh, some drivers tend to rely on it a little bit too much and that can cause problems, you know, because they may, they may accidentally get on going the wrong way and mm-hmm. it's pretty obvious if they were to just stop and think about it, which way the beach is in Los Angeles, for example, or, you know, which direction the freeway is going. And if you kind of follow GPS blindly, it can cause issues. But I think definitely, you know, marketing yourself um, can help with ratings. And there are, you know, even drivers who have side hustles or businesses that are, you know, kind of meeting, you know, it's a great networking opportunity driving for rideshare. And, you know, I've heard lots of cool stories of different ways that people have actually marketed themselves, you know, while driving for Uber. Oh, cool. So what do we expect uh, when we see Uber and Lyft arrive in this little province? You've seen it, I guess, in, in other markets. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that typically what you'll expect is, you know, when these services first launch in a new market, there's actually great opportunity for a lot of the drivers because it's a new service. Um, They haven't quite built up that supply yet. So I always recommend, you know, for anyone interested in working, when these services first launch, they typically pay better bonuses. They typically pay better rates. And so it may not be that way forever, but kind of one of the nice things is that you can try it out, get paid a little bit extra for your time and effort since you get that kind of first mover advantage. And if they end up decreasing the pay and maybe it's not for you, you can move on to other things without anyone getting mad at you. Mm -hmm. And then I think on the consumer side, you know, equally, you have a lot of opportunity to kind of take advantage of this new service. And of course, you know, there's certain times and places, Friday, Saturday nights, people love taking rideshare, you know, when they're going out to dinner, they're going out to the bars to have some drinks and, you know, kind of drive safely. I think that's definitely one of the, you know, one of the great benefits of rideshare is that you don't ever have to worry about, you know, drinking and driving. You have this kind of safe, reliable ride, um, you know, this new option in town, I guess. What are your thoughts on the future of ridesharing? Yeah, I mean, I think that we're still seeing a lot of growth in the industry. There was a big uh, Pew Research study that came out uh, just a few weeks ago that sort of said, you know, more and more people are trying out rideshare services for the first time. And actually, a majority of people, you know, still haven't tried Uber or Lyft, even though they've been around for so long. And I think we're seeing that uh, both companies are investing in other modes of transportation, whether it's e-scooters or e-bikes. And I know there's a bunch of other companies investing in this micro-mobility wave called Bird 
curd and lime. Um, so there's lots of options, I think, in the future. And I mean, ultimately, what I what I think I'm excited for is a future in which, you know, if you don't want to own a car, that possibility may be there for you. Now, it may not be available in every city, you know, in the next few years. But I think over time, there's going to be more and more transportation options with rideshare really being the core of those transportation options. You know, I'm here in Los Angeles. And even four or five years ago, when I first started driving for Uber and Lyft in LA, I was meeting people here and there that actually were living in Los Angeles and didn't own a car. And that was pretty unheard of before rideshare. And now it's pretty common for for me to meet passengers all the time who, uh, you know, solely rely on rideshare, Uber and Lyft, walking, public transportation, you know, biking, all of these different options that are now available. Mm -hmm. Oh, very cool. How can people um, learn more about the Rideshare Guy, or where can they find you? Sure. So we've got a website at therideshareguy.com where we're releasing uh, new blog posts every week. So usually Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, we've got a new blog post about what's going on in the industry, um, you know, related to rideshare, delivery, uh, any uh, lots of different gig economy jobs. If you're interested uh, specifically in the rideshare component, I just released a book uh, late last year called The Rideshare Guide that I think I saw on Amazon. It was on sale for 99 cents for the Kindle version. So I'm definitely not going to make much money off of that, but... (laughs) It's a great value, I can say, because I put a lot of work into that. I don't know. I'm going to have to have a little chat with Amazon. But um, yeah, basically any search box online, I think if you type the rideshare guy into, uh, we should pop up. Thanks, Harry. Thank you very much. Any final advice for uh, a new new driver? Yeah, I mean, I think one of my best pieces of it, pieces, excuse me, uh, one of my best pieces of advice for a new driver is actually just to try the service as a rider. So one of the nice things about Uber and Lyft is they offer a lot of free codes to get your first ride free. So you can kind of take advantage of that. But more than anything, you'll see sort of how the app works, what happens when you initiate a request. You can follow the driver on your phone. You can talk to the driver and see what they have to say. So I think that's kind of one of the best ways to learn about what it's like to be a driver is to actually try it as a customer first. Awesome. Well, thank you again very much, Harry. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. So how did this happen? To figure that out, I reached out to Jared Spool, who's a usability expert. And I asked him, how did Rideshare come in and literally blow up an entire industry? Basically, you can compete in two ways. You can either compete in price or you can compete in quality of some sort. But the problem is that price has a floor. There's only so low you can go. Quality, on the other hand, does not have a ceiling. So you, you can find new ways to add value. And the way Uber's done it or, and Lyft behind it uh, is by focusing their value on the experience of the rider. And by doing that, uh, they change the game. You know, one of the things that make that's really interesting is that is that the real people don't talk about this much. But the real difference between Uber and taxis is the human dispatcher. The human dispatcher in a conventional taxi system has all the power. Hmm. They decide who gets picked up, who doesn't get picked up, which drivers can drive, how many drivers are going to get business that night, who's sitting around, who's not sitting around, right? They they have all this power. 
And they're also a bottleneck because they can only dispatch so many things at a time. And figuring out where the vehicles are and knowing who's close and knowing that something someone can get a ride and doing that is um, uh, is a function of the dispatcher. And the dispatcher works for the taxi company. The taxi company in many places are the ones who own the cars. Um, and there's a limited number of cars. And, and then they have to find drivers for all those cars. So there's always this balancing act around the dispatch of, you know, how many cars can they have on the road at any given time and does it meet demand and all those things. And what Uber did was they just, they just pulled the plug on the human dispatcher. So now there's an algorithm that does the dispatching and it's way more effective. It can work much faster. Uh, it can support many more vehicles uh, and it can support many more requests. And when you add in things like surge pricing and, and other balancing effects, it, it keeps the company uh, fairly profitable and, and makes things work. And so, so it's, that, it's that loss of the human dispatcher that to me is the big difference between the old way of doing things and the new way. That's really interesting. Yeah, no, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that either. Um, I wonder how you, you've done, you've written about, um, like this, uh, how, how, how you can kind of, um, look at or break apart your own company or look at things from a more uh, holistic approach. How, how could a company take on their own, like before an Uber comes in and destroys their whole business model, can you look at that user experience or that customer experience or 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 how would you go about it yeah well so so the way you measure a user experience is on a scale of extreme frustration to extreme delight and so the first thing you want to do is you want to look for all the cases of frustration what are frustrating your, in the case of something like Uber, what are frustrating your riders? What are frustrating your drivers? And when you have a monopoly, you're not likely to do that. And the thing about taxis is that in most places, they were a complete monopoly. You don't have to, you know, doing something that's a higher quality costs more. Why would you spend the money if, it's not going to change the amount of income you're going to bring in. Have you seen companies that, that can do that well, or is there anything like, I don't know if you have like the department of, I guess, innovation or, or whatever that would be, that would just be constantly looking for frustrations. No, well, it's a research function. So you, yes, yes. I mean, you know, uh, Disney is a company that comes to mind that does this exceptionally well. They, they, they look for every opportunity to remove frustration in their, uh, in their theme parks, in their uh, uh, interactive business, wh whatever it is. They, they're always trying to, to do something there. How much do you think the um, how much do you think the app itself for the driver or for the user? 
plays into kind of the delight of people that people find in taking an Uber or a Lyft. Oh, quite a bit. I mean, there's there's a couple of pieces there, right? First, it always knows who you are, right? So you don't have to tell it who you are. You don't. You could, you know, in the uh, um, uh, in the old-fashioned taxi system, if you called a dispatcher to have them come pick you up at your house, you could do that every day at eight in the morning. They would still have to ask you your address. Right. They still have to ask you who you are. Right. The system knows that they know who you are. They know where you are. And they say, OK, we're going to send you a car. Right. It's 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 absolutely magical. You press a couple of buttons and a car appears in front of you. Right. And uh, then the other thing is. You don't have to give them directions. You just tell them where to go, assuming they pay attention to the map software you know the 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 London taxi cabs had a reputation because they had to know every street in the city and to get you know to get a uh, a medallion and a license in the London system you had to take these tests that proved you knew every possible location in the city uh uh uber drivers in the city don't have to know that because they have a device that knows that and it just tells them and it, they just it, they just follow where it tells them to go so so the bar of entry is much lower uh, and then um, uh, there are all these awkward moments in the taxi cab system that are gone in the uber and Lyft system um, you, the um, uh for example, in the taxicab system, after you've completed your ride, you have to you have to pay for it, and you either have to produce cash, and then the driver has to get change out, or you use an awkward credit card machine. And this often happens while the driver is stick the car is sticking half out in traffic, and people are trying to get by and you need to go do something and you may be running a few minutes late and you still have to do this thing and and uh you might have stuff in the trunk of the car but the uh uh the driver's popped it because he came to a stop and he popped the trunk so now your 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 private property is exposed um while you're in the car screwing with the uh, the machines so so there's all this this ritual that's awkward and, and convoluted that has to happen whereas in uh, in Lyft or in Uber and I, I still can't get used to this right your ride ends you just get out you say thank you and you leave there's you know I, I actually shake the hand of my driver because I, I have to have some closure <laughs> <laughs> right uh, uh, that it just it just feels too weird. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is fun though, just to get out like a friend has driven you somewhere. It is. It is, and you wish them a nice day, and and you, you know, uh, um, I always I always wish that they have great fares from this point on, and and uh, um, 
uh, uh, only good customers. And so yesterday I got in an Uber and the guy had this entire rig in the front that was set up for uh, uh, karaoke. And I said, what is this? And he says, <laughs> he says, I do karaoke with drunk people. <laughs> and I said, does that work? And he brings up, and there, it has video screens. There are video screens mounted in this thing. He brings up the on the video. Uh, uh, if you Google it, you can see it. It's it's best damn Uber is what you look for in the YouTube. He brought up a video, and it's it's drunk people singing karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best damn Uber. <laughs> <laughs> What do you find from different companies that kind of uh, holds them back, or what's the barrier? Is there a common barrier from? Yes, I mean the biggest common barrier. There, there, there are three things. The first one is the people who make the products and services do not have enough exposure to. Um, the people who are using the products and services. So that means they don't have any realistic sense of what the frustration is and what delights them. Hmm. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that they often don't have a vision. They don't have a, a shared understanding of where, what frustrations and delights they are going to resolve and improve over the next, you know, say five years. So they don't they don't have a roadmap that tells them when we succeed, this is the experience of our customer or our user and how it will be so much better than what it is today. Because and without that, you don't have any direction to go in. You just sort of, well, what are what's our competitor doing? Let's do that. What, oh, here's an idea. Let's just randomly add this idea. And you get complexity. You get sort of convoluted elements. I mean, well, who thought that it was a good idea to put televisions in the back seats of cabs that just play commercials? Oh, my gosh. I love that. Exactly. <laughs> right? This is obviously something that, that somebody said – well, this will make our business better yeah. because we can charge ads because we have these people who are trapped in this vehicle. But it does not make for a better experience. It just increases the frustration of the experience. And that not having a vision of what makes the passenger's experience better or what makes the driver's experience better is what killed the cab companies. So that's key. And then the third thing is what we call a culture of continuous learning. This idea that you can't assume you know everything. You have to assume that every day you're going to learn something new, particularly around who your user is, what they need, what their frustrations are, uh, uh, and how might you improve their, their abilities. How might you give them superpowers through your product? And if you think about it, Uber gives me superpowers. I wave my fingers over a glass brick and a car appears. And within minutes, I am deposited across the globe in some other place. And 
money moves out of my bank account into the driver's account and everybody's happy with this transaction. It's completely Harry Potter Hogwarts magical. Yeah. Well, Jared, I really appreciate your insight. And I wonder if I could ask one last question. And that's what advice would you give to marketers or business people to kind of look at their own business or how to approach uh, things from a, an experience point of view? Well, if we look at every market that's been disrupted, you know, from classified ads to the sort of Uber Lyft thing to Blockbuster versus Netflix, right? What you need to do is you need to look at where there's uh, implicit and explicit frustration, right? The, the implicit, fr- explicit frustration is people just getting angry. Implicit frustration is people putting up with something that is substandard. And just accepting that that's the way it has to be. And um, suddenly when you do that, you see that that businesses open themselves up for an opportunity. And you can either have that opportunity or you can let a competitor get it. It's hard when you when you look at your own business and go like because you don't know what you don't know and you don't really know, um, right. you know, if you have semi satisfied customers and they're just like, yeah, no, things are fine. It's like, well, well, but you can go and spend time with them. So this is the thing. This is what we talk about. This is exposure to actual customers. So you can ask someone. I can ask you. You know, how was it? And you can say, oh, it was fine. And you wouldn't know any better. But if I sat with you. And I went through the day with you. Uh, um, I would start to notice that uh, things are not ideal. Almost everybody who starts a startup starts a startup because out of frustration, right? Uber was literally started by a guy who could not get a taxi at eleven o'clock at night in Paris and he's like this is there are all these people with cars that are just sitting here that they could they could be making money off of what if I could just hire one of them to to come pick me up and uh, uh, it was born out of frustration and almost every business is born out of some sort of frustration you know Netflix was created by a guy who who didn't want, who hated going to the video tape store, the video rental store, only to find that that the thing he wanted was out of stock. He wanted just to be able to reserve it and have it sent to him when he was ready to watch it. And uh, so you look for those things. You look for where that frustration is. And that means spending time with your customers and your users and really getting to know what is frustrating. That's great advice. Thank you very much, Jared. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you. I, I very much appreciate that you asked me. Mm-hmm.